Hello, hello, and welcome to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Swetman, and today on the show, we are continuing our series looking at the films of Darren Aronofsky. This time, we're looking at the films Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan. Filmmaker and big Aronofsky fan Michael Darty is back to help us break it all down. Don't go anywhere. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Purple in the morning, blue in the afternoon, orange in the evening. Just like that. One, two, three, four. You know, somebody like you can really make things all right for me. You know what we need to do? We need to get us a piece of this Brody shit, cut it up, and off it. Double our money, easy. That's what I'm talking about, baby. No hassle. You just watch my back, and I'll watch yours. On our way, baby. On our way. Hey, Ma, you want office? You don't know. I'm going to be on television. Gotta win. I'm somebody now, Harry. Everybody likes me. It's a reason to smile. Let's do this right, man. All I'm saying is we should take a little taste. We know much to cut. business. Fair enough. Getting the money is not the problem, Harry. I don't know what I'm gonna have to do to get it. This is our last chance to get back on track. You promised me that everything was gonna be okay, remember? I'm gonna be on television. Welcome to Art House Garage. Today we are finally getting back to our series on the films of Darren Aronofsky. It's been a little bit, and this is part three, so if you need to catch up, part one was back in episode 117, and part two was episode 120. Today we are going to discuss Aronofsky's 2000 film, Requiem for a Dream, and his 2010 film, Black Swan. Joining me, as always, for this discussion is Michael J. Darty. He's a filmmaker and a disability advocate who helped start the L.A. chapter of the Real Abilities Film Festival and a very thoughtful cinephile who is always a pleasure to talk with. Michael, welcome back to the show, and how are you? Quack, quack. <laughs> how are you, uh, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. It's, uh, you know, for the longest time, it was just my own scheduling issues, and then you were sick, and then I was sick, and it's like this just kept getting pushed back. <laughs> 
but I'm glad we finally got back to it. Um, we, we, we can finally talk about other people's suffering. Yes, exactly. yeah, that's the thing. We were just living it for a while, and then now we can get back to talking about it. Um, well, before we talk about Aronofsky, have you seen anything else recently you want to highlight that you recommend? I would like to highlight the single greatest lesbian fight club movie <laughs> ever, Yes, which is Bottoms, which is by the filmmakers that did uh, Shiva Baby, which we discussed in philosophy that's right yeah, yeah. a long, long time ago wonderful movie everyone should see that um but that's literally what this movie is it's a, it's it's about a couple of lesbians who want to get laid and they think that the best way to come in contact with other women is to start a fight club and right now it stands shoulder to shoulder with um uh asteroid city the west anderson movie mm. as my favorite of the year for the simple reason that I I I knew the I know the tropes of the high school comedy, yeah. the sex comedy, uh -huh. know all that stuff, but this is the one movie that I've seen all year and probably in a few years where where every single moment I was like, what are they going to do next? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was constantly surprising, <laughs> um, from beginning to end, and it was so joyful. And so just completely off its rocker um, and it's inclusion done to my mind. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which it, it includes the, the other, in this case, the, the, the gay community, even the black community as, as, as part of the tapestry, but it, it, it focuses on the characters themselves and their needs and desires and doesn't make any overt, political statements um yeah. which is not something i necessarily mind but um I, I i just give this movie so much credit for just being balls to the wall entertaining mm -hmm. yeah um so i completely agree yeah i went and saw that with my wife and another couple and uh so my, my wife doesn't make it out to the movies with me that often but i was like this is a movie that she'll enjoy and when my wife is laughing hard and loud at something she's like really into it and that was the situation so it was like a lot of fun um but yeah i agreed i i was surprised by how kind of zany it was like i i expected something a little more like shiva baby maybe which is like really funny and like all that cringy stuff but it's a it's pretty grounded um whereas this is not and i didn't expect that it's like pretty quickly i was like oh this is it was more like i thought about like not another teen movie like some of those like early odds like just farce kind of things but you're right. It has that kind of like heart to it that those movies absolutely don't even try to have. And I think it balances all that really well. And yeah, just really funny. Um, I'll laugh a minute. Yes. I also really liked Bottoms. Um, what else have I seen? I'm going to talk a little bit about another movie in a minute. Um, but just as, as a brief, I'm actually going to do a podcast about this later, but um, got to see the new Netflix movie, Fair Play which is, I thought it was like an erotic thriller and you could kind of call it that, but it's really more like a feminist relationship drama. Um, it stars, it's written and directed by Chloe Dumont, which is her first, um, it's her, it's her debut. And then the, trying to remember the name really quickly of the leads are Phoebe Denever and Alden Ehrenreich, who, Alden Ehrenreich is pretty prominent from like he's in Han Solo movie. He's the young Han Solo guy, and he's in um, the Coen Brothers 
Hail Caesar is where I first saw him. That uh, that scene, would the detour so simple? If you've seen that, you know that scene. That's him. It's the funniest scene in the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And he's really good in this movie too. Um, but it's like a, uh, it it surprised me because I expected it to be like pretty pulpy, and it it gets the, in, there a little bit. But um, it really is really smartly written for the most part. I really liked it. They were, you know, very in love, and then we find out that they are also co-workers, and they are not allowed to be dating. And then there's a promotion that they're both up for, and it throws their relationship into chaos, kind of. Um, and I don't want to say more than that, but that'll be on Netflix in a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, generally, I was pretty impressed by it. So that's what I've been watching. Um, yeah, let's talk about Aronofsky, I guess. So to recap. Are where we've been so far and again uh, if, if you haven't listened to any of these we're not doing them chronologically we uh, michael has sort of um programmed this or put them into different uh categories for us the first one was order and chaos which was pie and the fountain right yes and then male suffering which was the wrestler and the whale and this week female suffering Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan. And next time we're going to do Noah and Mother to finish out his filmography for spiritual suffering. Uh, so yes, we're talking about female suffering this week. And um, yeah, I guess we can kind of jump into Requiem for a Dream first. And I want to ask you, like, how many times have you seen this movie? Um, when did you first see it? Kind of what's your relationship to this film? It's, it's a pretty oh, my, my first screening of it was a big one because yeah. I went to the world premiere oh, wow. at the Cannes Film Festival back in 2000. Oh, my gosh. I was interning uh, there to get my last couple of credits for, for film school. Nice. And I was already a fan of Pi. So yeah. I, was, I was excited um, for this one. And I, I think we should put up that, like, spoilers on the table yeah. just so we can go ahead and yeah and i have, think so for this movie conversation spoiler alert everyone go watch Reckon for a dream if you're up for it and then return but yeah yeah but the the moment where the the refrigerator comes to life <laughs> seeing that on the biggest screen in the entire world like literally mm. and having that french audience go absolutely bananas when it happened <laughs> oh was gosh. one of the great movie going moments of my entire life wow um yeah. and so it, it 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 made a huge huge impact on me because of the uh the style of it hmm. because it's a, a quintessential new york movie i mean it's filmed in part in coney island where i used to spend summers going to the amusement park there Mm. um and i i've always maintained because this movie when it came out was unrated which was really unheard of back in i did not know that. 2000 mm. and it's a shame because if ever you know institutions of learning wanted to convey to young people not to do drugs <laughs> they should be showing this movie yeah there's no finer way to do that yeah because it's so brutal and so horrific and 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 just so hopeless um that it, 
even in the even in like the razzle dazzle MTV kind of technique that's incorporated, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's all to meet the end of 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 the, the 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 giant tragedy that is this like group of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I I love it. Yeah, wow. How many times have you seen it since? Uh, probably three or four. It's it's not it's not yeah. like a beer and pizza movie. Like <laughs> exactly. it's not something I can go back to easily. Um, and and but the technique and the the score, which is I think mm-hmm. one of the greatest of all time, yeah. and Ellen Burstyn's performance, which the fact I, I know Julia Roberts is beloved fine but the fact that she won over ellen burston mm-hmm. for this um, it's just this was it was a crime what movie was julie roberts in that year aaron brockovich oh, okay yeah yeah uh person is so good in this yeah it's incredible this was my first time seeing this movie and it's obviously wow. it's, a, it's a movie that's um kind of notorious and so like actually i knew there's something with a refrigerator to, to kind of look out for um and i even just like as i was going through like i watched the trailer and it was like it was a trailer for like the remaster actually i watched the director's cut i'm not, not sure what's different about it that's what was on itunes and um the little trailer said like the movie you swore you'd never watch again i was like okay this is that kind of a movie and i knew like that it had that kind of reputation and i absolutely see why but i was so impressed by this like much more than i expected to be um you know i thought it was going to be one of those just like shock and awe like oh i don't know like hostile or something in the way that it's like oh it's this thing that is super gruesome and can you get through it kind of thing but it's not that at all um and yeah i I mean it's just so relentless in that final section and yeah i was so impressed by the technique of it editing of it the sound design of it all um and i think it actually is a great pair with Black Swan because I, I'm realizing as we're watching these, like, Aronofsky knows how to do an ending, or he he at least always goes big for the ending, and it. I mean, uh, we talked about the whale. That one didn't quite work as well for me, but he went really big. These two endings, I think, are some like his best. Actually, I think these might be his two best movies that I've seen. Like, I Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan. Um, I absolutely loved revisiting Black Swan and and watching this for the first time. But yeah, I um, I was nervous because of all like all the hype. But I and it it was destroyed me at the end. But I was so impressed by it, and uh, it I I think because of the the you know reputation of it being so crazy, like I didn't have the highest hopes of the quality of it for whatever reason, um, or at least well, I just wasn't what, on my what, radar as much. But what what did, what did you think it was going to be? I mean, given what we've watched yeah. so far, what did you think it was gonna? I don't know. It wasn't that I was turned off to watch it exactly. It was just like, um, yeah, I just knew it was notoriously hard to watch. And I was like, I don't love Jared Leto. He's like his own weird thing these days, all of that. Um, But I really didn't know much about it. I knew it was about drug use and that was about it. Um, And I didn't realize until it started going, I was like, oh, I've heard this score many times. I didn't realize what it was from. Here we go. Uh, Which is incredible. But yeah, so it's not like I had low hopes exactly, but it just really blew me away. And uh, and I, I understand why people watch it once and are done. I plan to revisit this at some point. I need a little bit of a break, but um, I really want to watch it again, you know, knowing 
all of the things that happened and and to key in up to the technique a little bit more because I was so impressed by it. Yeah. So, uh, what are some of the things you appreciate about this film? Well, if, if we if we sort of put it through the prism of, of female suffering, um, Darren Aronofsky, I think, has always been accused of being so misanthropic mm-hmm. that he's like he's like Sid from from <laughs> Toy, Toy Story. Story. Where he's just mutilating his his toys, um, and I can see that argument, but I completely put it aside because I, I, I think I think he completely empathizes with the amount of pain that mm-hmm. all of his characters um, are in, and. So when I hear things that maybe, especially like Black Swan, there's a, there's an element of misogyny to it. I say I don't I don't necessarily agree with that, because if you take something like Ellen Burstyn's performance, which is in close up for so much of it, mm-hmm. um, it it would be so easy to to glorify the amount of suffering that she goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He, I, it's a, it's a true chat tragedy in that sense that the way he presents her is he gives her an out every single time. And she mm-hmm. keeps failing that, Yeah. Wow. um, because she's on her own sort of quest toward oblivion. Mm-hmm. Um, but and the and the same would go for for really all of the characters. I think what what both of these movies sort of typify for me is this kind of thwarted freedom, where they're all the characters are trying to get beyond their circumstances and 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 become something better than they were before, but because of human foibles and human frailty and and the the way that we always managed to fuck things up for ourselves um that that never happens and i don't never thought that that there was any sort of glee in in all of that pain that that he's right there with those characters and the 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 thing about the technique i mean you could argue you know that it's kind of film school kind of show offy yeah. <laughs> kind of stuff. And again, it's like I I get why people would say that, but where I would sort of differentiate is that all of the 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 snazzy effects and and visual stuff serves the characters, serves the plot and and serves the whole mood of the thing. There isn't a single effect in the movie yeah. that took me out of it and and made me think, well why is he why is he speeding things up or slowing them down? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, everything in the movie seems to have is is tied into the 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 theme. I completely agree, and I think I thought that about the editing too. And I think the ending doesn't work half as well as it does without all the stuff before it. All that, that kind of quirky editing, like there's a scene where she's drinking her coffee, and it's just like the sound of coffee slurping, and the coffee disappears, and like just like 
I was like, this is funny little ways to edit this, but all of that stuff and the fasting and going fast and the, the POV close-up shots, all of that is leading up to that ending that's so quickly edited that it's like priming you for that, I think. And I think that that was basically the thing that I was so impressed by, like, oh, he was getting me ready for this this whole time. I thought that was so amazing. But yeah. And you and you could argue, like, the, the, the effect with the refrigerator, like, in lesser hands that could have been really silly and yeah. it is silly to a certain degree but it's just how far out he is willing to go yeah tell this story um that he would put a you know a man-eating you know appliance in in, yeah. in this very very dark and almost too realistic drug story yeah, and I think the fridge thing doesn't work without Ellen Burstyn's performance being so, so heartbreaking because like, okay, that's weird and funny, but it, like she's devastated and that's the emotional truth of that scene. And like, she's so afraid. And so you're with her in that. And I think you're right. So I didn't know he was accused of being misogynistic. When you said that, my mind actually went to Jennifer Connelly's character more, but I don't think that works either because again, like she goes through so much terrible stuff, but like, I, I think the most heartbreaking shot of the movie is when she's leaving the apartment and it's the close-up shot as she's like getting the elevator and everything and immediately gets outside and is finally alone and just loses it vomits and is like so so devastated um so I, yeah it's like it's with the characters and siding with them and like their experiences it's not just yeah misanthropically toying with people at all i don't think so yeah yeah wow what a movie um, do you think there are what things about it and I'm starting to pick up on these things now that we've watched so many like that are that are feel like Aronofsky things um, or like what thematically or stylistically are the things that like this is something that he's going to continue to do or has been doing that kind of well he's he's endlessly interested in the degradation of the body hmm. um, yeah. and I mean, he goes from just taking, you know, well, these are a bunch of junkies and we've we've seen these stories to mm. um, let me show you what this guy's heroin abused arm looks yeah. like. Let me show you what this is actually doing to um, a person. So I think he's he's very interested in the crucible that the, that the body goes mm-hmm through but it's it's never disconnected from from spiritual agony and again i've I've mentioned this in past episodes he 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 has said up and down that he's an atheist and fine i believe him (laughs) but his movies reflect even if it's atheistic that it's screaming for some sort of spiritual comfort um or or transcendence in in some way yeah and it's 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 a very i identify with it almost in like a catholic sense because it's 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 the crucifixion leading to the resurrection mm-hmm. in in a sense that that his characters need to have their bodies destroyed in in order to to find some level of peace or 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 transcendence um or light of any kind 
that I don't know if they necessarily get it, but I think that that's what it's pointing to. Yeah, or it's like with something like Black Swan or even like The Wrestler, there is a bit more of a bittersweet feeling to the ending a little bit, whereas this one doesn't really have any sweetness at all, I don't think. Um, yeah. Uh, really intense movie. I really thought all the performances were really good. Yeah, Ellen Burstyn. Amazing. It's incredible. like all-time best for all of them. Maybe all of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know the scene that really like gutted me like it's it's part of that ending sequence which again is just like so fast and like just doesn't let up but it's after her two friends have seen her in the in the hospital and then they're sitting outside just weeping and like <laughs> there's not a lot of movies that made me just like shed tears for the brokenness of the world but this movie did that that scene just really like i mean it's like three seconds or something but it oh my gosh i was just, those i think it's all of that and like how pieced together that ending is because it's so i mean so much just footage like cut together so so expertly i i um yeah thought that ending was amazing and how they all sort of curl up into the the, mm -hmm. the single position yeah um yeah it's it's 20 what 23 years later it has yeah. lost none of its power and it's interesting because he never really went back uh to this style yeah I mean, it didn't fits and starts maybe but um he never he never went went back to it and and in a weird way i i'm i'm, I'm happy that filmmakers grow and become themselves and mature and and progress but um the filmmaking is so alive for for a movie that's about dead ends this movie is is raging against the universe in such a such a profound and powerful way and the way he uses the editing and the lenses where things are you know the wide angle close ups where mm -hmm. things are distorted um and and the 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 coloring and the and the light and the shadows um that we could use a gut punch like that now <laughs> um and you could argue maybe a few movies here or there but but as far as like straight up american filmmaking is concerned it's like i wish we need we need we need more of a jolt again just it woke me up in such a way that i thought oh this is what movies are supposed to do they're supposed to grab you by the ears and shake you um and not everything needs to be this devastating but i, I just i so admire any filmmaker who's willing to go to that length to talk to his audience or her yeah. audience yeah i think it's it's so um <laughs> the word i was thinking of is potent it's a very potent film like just yeah, a jolt, like you're saying. It's, um, yeah, I, I haven't seen anything like it in a while. Uh, and yeah, I can't believe it took me, yeah, 23 years to watch it, but I'm um, glad I finally have. Well, any other Requiem thoughts? Should we move on to Black Swan? Well, I, I, I love, I, I love stories about the American dream and the failure mm. of that, that it wasn't 
took place in a recognizable setting uh, was even more powerful because, like, I mean, I didn't know junkies growing up, but I knew I knew Brooklynites, mm -hmm. um, and and so it 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 felt it felt very familiar to me. Um, but yeah, Ellen Burstyn, man, that is that is like I put that on the wall as one of the all time greats. Yeah, I, I think I knew she was in it, but I didn't know the story focused on her so much either. So that was another huge surprise that it was like equal footing with, with her and with Jared Leto and Jennifer Connelly's characters. And I think going back to something you said a minute ago, just like stylistically, yeah, I feel like if I rewatched Pi, I could probably feel some similarities. And it's like even like looking at like the fountain, maybe you can feel some of this similar style. But yeah, from there to Black Swan there's almost no recognizable as far as the style of the, the camera and that kind of thing. Uh, it doesn't have any of that, that editing style that we've been talking about. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah. Well, one, one for the ages. Yeah, as far as absolutely. Absolutely. So if you've somehow gotten this far and you haven't ever watched it, um, I do recommend it. Like, obviously it's really intense as we've been saying. Um, but yeah, I was just really bowled over by it, uh, by the craft on display, um, as well as by just how relentless that ending is. But well, Black Swan, this was my second time seeing it. Um, I saw it in the theater back in whatever year that was, what, I don't know, say a minute ago, 2011, 2010. Um, actually funny enough, I was studying abroad at the time I was in Liverpool and they have really nice movie theaters over there. So I had a great experience watching this. Um, and it's, it was it was my first Aronofsky film, I think. I'm, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that's true. Uh, and I just knew it was like an awards contender and all of that. And um, I really liked it. I was not ready for what it was. Like it was more intense than I was expecting, um, than I was probably prepared for. Um, so I'm glad I have revisited again these years later and was still, I mean, even more impressed by it. Um, really, really loved this film a lot. Uh, how many times have you watched Black Swan? uh this is probably the second or third um like the the whale this one's towards the bottom for me but that's mm. not even saying very much because sure. other than the whale i love every single thing that he's done but um i i guess it's just if you if you compare something like um what ellen burston goes through in the filmmaking there Black Swan is still a brutal movie, but mm. like I, I never stop watching a movie star mm, interesting. Um, go through that. And so there is a bit of a sheen that's kind of distancing mm. um, to me. But at the same time, I mean, this movie grows like over $300 million and that's crazy to me <laughs> yeah. that, that a movie that is this intense and this weird um, and and like all so many of the others, completely despairing mm -hmm. that it, it 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 touched a nerve with the planet. Yeah, that is bizarre to think about because yeah, I remember it being really successful, and it I, that's interesting to hear you say that about cause I, about Natalie Portman and I guess the other movie stars in it. But I um, I think the first time I watched it, that was kind of how I felt, and I hadn't seen Natalie Portman in that many things at that point. Um, but this time around, I was really impressed by her performance uh, more than I remembered being. 
and like maybe more than I remember being in anything else she's been in because I, I always like Natalie Portman as a you know public figure but I've never just loved one of her performances I think except for this maybe um, like I really like Garden State and I really like I mean, the first thing I ever saw her in was Star Wars, which is not a terribly challenging character that that she's playing. Um, but I thought she was really good in this, and I kind of keyed into the performance more this time around. Um, but yeah, it's this. I think the music in this is really good as well. I mean, most of it I think is the um, Tchaikovsky. Uh, yes, yeah, blanking. Um, but I, I think it comes together really well and um so i mentioned at the beginning of the, the show that i had seen another film recently and that film is uh perfect blue which is an animated film an anime film um and i'm gonna look up the director's name because i forgot it in the last two minutes um and i want to get it right he's one of the great anime directors satoshi khan who also made um tokyo godfathers and paprika and uh, I'd seen this movie before and then it was playing at a, a one night screening thing and I went and saw it again and I in the intervening years I had seen online someone accusing Black Swan of being a ripoff of Perfect Blue and they certainly have a lot in common but so having seen that again recently I can say that they have a lot of thematic things in common and even some kind of story similarities but definitely distinct things but actually the movie I thought about watching black swan this time more was something like persona where just like the, the fracturing of the identity and seeing in someone else what you could have been or what you could become or um and and like almost um conjoining in your mind and and the psychological terror of that um which is exactly what perfect blue is about if you haven't seen it it's not a ballerina it's a pop star who wants to become an actor and gets sucked into the the darkness of the Hollywood, but it's in, it's set in Japan, um, and the darkness of that, and and uh, becomes very exploited by it, and then starts to see a a doppelganger and kind of losing her mind kind of thing, and it's it's got a great twist at the end. It's really really well done. Uh, Perfect Blue is great if you haven't seen it, but yeah, it does have some similarities. This actually, there's a lot of seeing yourself in the reflection even like on the subway so which like there's a, some just really direct comparisons between the two so i see why people compare them but um uh yeah so i, I think has, Ar has yeah. aronofsky mentioned having seen it? I thought that i read that he claims he hasn't seen it um but it seemed i mean it seems like it could be an inspiration at least i could look that up um but he al he also didn't write this one. Oh, that's true uh, which is of of note because even with three writers, which could count as a committee in Hollywood, yeah. it still manages to be very much a Darren Aronofsky movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it actually, so re when we watched The Wrestler a few weeks back, that was my first time seeing that. And I was really struck by the similarities there where it's like someone who is um, dying for their art in a way. Uh, in, especially in that last scene, but someone who is so drawn by uh, wanting to have, wanting to have, you know, pursue greatness. Um, it also reminded me of the movie Whiplash because you know he wants to be one of the greats and you know all of that. But um, so I'm just comparing it to a million other movies at this point. But uh, especially the ending reminded me of the wrestler. We also have like 
you know, even a dive motion towards the ending, jumping well, to your doom potentially kind of thing. Well, one of the curious things about it is that uh, before even the wrestler, and I agree, we could have, I could have paired the wrestler and black swan together as a kind of like physical suffering. And I, and that would have made sense, but I just wanted to separate it by gender. Cause I think it's so interesting what the camera is actually looking at in terms of male versus female bodies. But um, Aronofsky originally had a, a script idea for a wrestler that falls in love with a ballerina. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and he, he was like, that's just, it's just too much because the worlds of each are too too immense. Mm -hmm. So he 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 ended up separating it, and then he found the the writers that would would make those um, stories eventually. Um, and he originally it was supposed to be called the understudy, but they don't have understudies oh. in in ballet. Um, they have these alternates, so he couldn't call it that. Um, but it's curious. I love Mila Kunis in it. I think she is the the one bit of like lightness, if if yeah. you can call yeah. that the whole thing. She has a different energy, and I agree. Like I was, I'd forgotten how good she is in this. Yeah, go ahead. But I but I wonder what 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 would Kira Knightley, hmm. because she looks so much like Natalie Portman. What would she have have done with it? But maybe then it would have been too cold. You needed somebody who was a bit softer. Um, yeah, that's interesting. But I just I kept thinking of I, I go back to like Star Wars, which you know it's not was not Natalie Portman's finest moment. Um, but that Kira Knightley is in that, and that you know they sort of oh yeah, <laughs> sort of the the duels in that yeah yeah. Um, okay. So I thought it would maybe maybe that was just too obvious. Um, but I wanted to ask a question about it um so apparently aronofsky in order to sort of for 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 his own directing uh he wanted to play up the tension between the rivalries with uh natalie portman and and mila kunis mm -hmm. that he he would like shit talk one to the other really and try to play them against one another but apparently they were such good friends in real life that they ended up just telling each other that that was happening. So they like figured out the ruse. Yeah. And, and for a movie that post me too is like a, a me too movie from frame one mm. to the end. Yeah. What do you think about the idea of, of directors psychologically toying with their actors, or should we just leave it well enough alone that, and I, cause I, I feel like this happens with, with actresses hmm. where they get forced into these, to go out on these ledges and some of them get destroyed by it, like a Marilyn Monroe. Hmm. Um, and some of them find out, about the machinations that are going on, like Natalie Portman found out and, you know, wasn't having it. But I wonder what you you think about uh, the way that artists can treat one another for an, a, an, an end game. 
Yeah. That's interesting because in a way that's what the director in the movie, the director of the play is doing. <laughs> like actually exactly. So it's like he like was funnily mirroring that. Um, I mean, I think that's not cool. <laughs> like I think that probably you shouldn't do that. Um, I I can't imagine, I'm not a filmmaker, but I can't imagine ever trying to do something like that, like intentionally doing that. Um, yeah. I, it's interesting because Natalie Portman too is someone who I think about, I'm trying to think what it is, like if I've seen her in interviews or something where like the softness that she brings to this role, if so much of that feels like maybe that's her real personality and like she seems to want to stay out of the spotlight and, um, you know, that's funny thinking about her SNL rap thing, which is like, that's funny because it's the absolute antithesis of her, uh, her like maybe real uh, persona. And she also fell in love with someone else in this movie, right? And they got the, married. The, and the main male dancer is her yeah. husband. Yeah, that's right. And like they met on this, right, is, is my understanding. So that's interesting to think about too. But like, yeah, she's someone who I always like for somehow it feels especially cruel to do that to her because she seems like just like tender and vulnerable in a way. Maybe that's like weirdly misogynistic for me to feel that way about her. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I guess I feel like he should not do that. Yeah. Well, I, but it's interesting though, because I read a quote of her saying that one of the reasons that she, cause she apparently heard about the project back in like 2000, like that's how long mm -hmm. he had wanted to do something like that. And uh, I think after Natalie Portman worked with Mike Nichols on Closer and, and got put through her paces with, with that, that she was doing her best work with people that were pushing her. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and I think that that's actually true because I've had this, I've had this weird relationship with her, which where she and I are like roughly the same age. By about a year or two, and uh, I was I was in love with her hmm. growing up, um, and from like the professional, which I mean that that oh, is like yeah. one of the great debut performances, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and beautiful girls, um, and but she was put into these situations where she was being asked to to grow up or play grown up characters that she wasn't necessarily ready to to do. But then when she became an adult and Star Wars got a hold of her, like it seemed like a lot of that edge that she initially showed and the complexity of that edge was was disappearing. Um, and so when she shows up in movies, if she, if 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 it didn't look like she's breaking herself to do it, because it's like this and Jackie, Jackie, which she should have won the Oscar for again. Um, because of, of what she clearly put herself through to get to the core of that character, um, that every time she shows up in something that's, it almost feels like it's beneath her. Hmm. Um, and I, and I wish that she would keep doing these things, um, that are quote unquote, a strain, but again, it goes back my initial question. Yeah. Even if the actor is asking the 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 director to to put them through it is that is that okay and then i think well if they want it that that's their business yeah um but it wouldn't yeah. necessarily be my my own sort of artistic tactic 
Yeah, I think there's a difference between, you know, a consensual discussion at the front of like, okay, I want you to push me really hard in, in this role versus like psychologically like toying with someone and like like causing political drama on set, that kind of thing. But I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. But it's amazing how the arc of the movie reflects yeah. everything that happens from 2016 yeah on like like i i don't know what kind of crystal ball or that they were just yeah. ready to like and it's and it's and it's three sc- three male screenwriters and a male director yeah that are are putting this out there which is another curious thing um yeah yeah i've forgotten how much of a uh, how how much he toys with them in the movie vincent cassell's character um, which he's, I think, great as well, and just effortlessly being so, uh, you know, terrible and and cruel, um, and treating it like it's no big deal. You know, he he, I think he wears that really well and and acts that really well. Um, yeah, I had completely forgotten that Winona Ryder was even in this, and I was oh, so, she's amazing, so pleasantly surprised. Uh, I think at the time that I first saw this, I didn't know her career that much. Um, so that was a another really pleasant surprise because she had she had kind of disappeared for a little while it's oh okay welcome back and she proves like like how how powerful she i mean the 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 knife yeah (laughs) i forgot forgot about that too i was like oh my gosh that's it i think that's something else too that i did remember was just how much like body horror like there's just little moments of body horror like that there's a moment I, I, this is the thing I thought about for years after watching this the moment when she's peeling her cuticle back and oh, it just goes halfway oh, down her finger oh. <laughs> I don't remember squirming that way in a theater maybe ever when I first saw that and like that's the kind of thing I'm like falling asleep at night and that pops in my head and I'm like oh no no I can't sleep like that moment uh, <laughs> is really brutal um, but yeah I, I remembered also like the second time it was fun to anticipate the reflections changing and like watching for those moments and seeing exactly how the Mila Kunis like their crazy night out um and like what was real and what wasn't and like keying into that a little more was really fun and a uh, and a young Sebastian Stan the, the winter right. himself <laughs> yes. yeah shows up in that bar <laughs> which he's yeah he's like you know affable and does what he needs to do that's funny but he's good in it too my wife saw him in something else recently oh she was watching i tanya she oh, went yeah. on vacation Amazing and watched i tanya in her tell <laughs> i was like what a vacation movie but yeah, yeah. anyway um yeah he's he's a good actor i, I really have, have liked it in most stuff that i've seen um yeah this yeah is is maybe my favorite of his um Although I probably would have to watch Reckon for a Dream again to say for sure. Um, but yeah, these two, I think, take the cake for me thus far, uh, what I've seen. So, And I imagine with the next two, that might still be the case. But I don't know. Maybe I'll be really into either Noah or Mother. I know Mother is a very divisive one. So I am. It's my favorite. I'm so passionate about that movie. <laughs> I'm excited um, to check it out. But I want, I want to go back for a second. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Um, both of these movies are about abuse. Mm. Um, and what's interesting, and I'm, I'm going to sort of toss the ball to you as I do. Um, when we looked at The Whale and The Wrestler, 
it seems to me that the suffering that those two characters put them through, put themselves through, are to prove something to themselves. Hmm. Whereas the suffering that that the two women in these two movies put themselves through is to is to to show something to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just curious what you think about the, the sort of direction yeah. of that, that men sort of pointed inward mm-hmm. in, in these movies and then the women pointed outward. It's just striking me too that Ellen Burson's character and um, uh, the main character in The Whale are almost opposites in a way, like that she's so obsessed with weight loss and that he is uh, obviously as struggle with his weight and that's his his struggle but yeah that's really interesting to think about i think with the wrestler it's he he could say that he i don't know it's tricky to think about like is he performing because he's trying to prove something to the world or is he um just so yeah it's like it's almost like trying to prove something to the world versus maybe ellen burson is trying to live up to some standards that um are unrealistic and it's like being abused by those expectations and obviously in black swan being abused by the toxic men that are um controlling her and 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 her mother too um in black swan that that dynamic is interesting and uh not exactly what you think it's going to be at first i think like she's an overbearing mom but she's um it's it's interesting just where that goes i think but where where, where, do, where do you think it goes because i i have a, i have a theory about this okay uh well yeah i think i initially thought no she's just like an evil stepmother from cinderella type like overbearing mom don't want you to do anything um but by the end and maybe it maybe it continues to follow that trajectory now i'm talking it out but i think i was surprised by some of the interactions they had towards the end um i think it it goes a little harder than i expected like where she's like i'm literally locking my door because there's no lock on my door with this wood and like um the the level of fear of her mother grows more than i thought and the the level of like resentment and all of that but yeah what do you think about that relationship i i I think that she's sexually abusing her Hmm. And the tip off for me is the, are you ready for me moment? And she's wearing that very sexy push up kind of nightgown. And you think, huh? Yeah. Because it's, it's never ever spelled out. Yeah. Um, but there, again, there's something about the body and, and, women being treated as 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 purely sexual beings that it's almost as though Natalie Portman would have been better off staying innocent and in her cocoon she never would have killed herself uh had she not been drawn out in 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 this way because it it, she had to confront the fact that she was being abused by all these people and she thought ultimately like she her last line it's 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 perfection Hmm. that 
she thinks that it was all worth it, which is so terribly sad. Um, but yeah, no, when I, I, I thought there's something weird going on with Barbara Hershey, like there's something about that performance. It's just so odd. And then <laughs> when she odd. had that, are you ready for me moment? And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't think about it there, but there's another moment that would support that. And that is when it's, you get the sense that this is the first time that Nina is the character's name has, has like talked back to her mom to that degree or anything like that. And there's a moment when, um, she's asked if she's been scratching the rash on her back and she says, take your shirt off. And she's like, no. And like speaks back to her in a way that's like more oomph than I expected in that moment. You've made me do this be before. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah I think you might be And right. when, and, and the, and the cake moment with mm -hmm. licks her finger. Oh. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. I think another, it's not as bad as the cuticle moment, but just like all the snipping of fingernails really close up with the scissors like that. <laughs> Makes my skin crawl too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And the feathers and just. Yeah. I mean, it's a set. It, I, and I'm not saying anything that's like groundbreaking because Aronofsky has basically said this, but like that it's basically a werewolf movie. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Or a, a were swan movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the effects, the visual effects of that transformation in the end are incredible too. That's. Um, Another thing I remembered from the first time, really vividly, and the sound of it, like her skin is yeah. apart. Mm -hmm. And there's even that there's that one shot when she's in the taxi cab and she's leaning out, and then like the moonlight hits her face. Yes, and it's like turns like bright blue for a second. Um, oh, and another little detail that I picked up on, which I I loved, which is after the uh, disastrous kiss moment in the in the office. Mm -hmm. Vincent Cassell says, "Well, you you showed me a bit of that before, you know, for yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Black Swan. When Natalie Portman gets up and walks back to her uh, place on the floor, she's biting her lip. Mm, interesting, yeah. Like she's and I thought, oh well, that, that was that's she's kind of reminding herself of of yeah. of what she's capable of." Yeah, that's really that's a, a nice little performance moment. I didn't catch that. Yeah, thinking more about the masculine versus feminine suffering. Um, yeah, it does. It feels like for the women, it's the, the in a way you could almost say like they didn't do anything wrong to get to to, to catch all this shit <laughs> in a way. But it does on the, for the, on the male side. It's like I, I don't want to like. And maybe that's not a fair argument to make about the whale, but for the wrestler, like he's choosing to go back in the ring every time and put his body well, through that. Yeah. That, that's like the, the men are saying, I want to suffer. Hmm. The women are saying I need to suffer. Um, and, and, and it is to a certain degree, the expectations that the world puts on them. But I, again, I make the, 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 the separation that the, the men are insisting on doing this for themselves or they believe that they are. Mm -hmm. And the, the women believe that they're doing it for the outside world. Yeah. They're making a show of themselves. It's for um, an audience in both cases. Uh, for yeah. an audience. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't, I, I've, I've heard, you know, women talk, I've heard actresses talk about, you know, being put on display um 
But it's just amazing to me that a bunch of dudes yeah. are were able to to drill down in in into that mm -hmm. um, and 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 pull that out. Um, yeah, no, I it's 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 great, 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 great. Film. Oh, and another thing, I like, and this is just like a neurosis for me. <laughs> it's so alarming when I see mirrors. In movies and i don't see the camera yeah <laughs> yeah i know they were all digitally erased and that's how they did that and that's but it's still there's something so mm -hmm. eerie and disorienting about seeing a world of mirrors and you know that there's something that you should be seeing that you're not so that kind of uh almost it was necessary to to erase them but that sort of effect served the movie yeah and in, in an odd way because when we're being asked to look at her it becomes really really uncomfortable mm -hmm. yeah yeah i forgot too there's moments towards the beginning where she just sees someone in the distance that looks like her like she walks yeah. past the woman I'd, I'd forgotten that i remember the mirrors things but i'd forgotten that um and yeah i just think that all was really effective and like uh the the gradual break with reality i think this is also a movie that builds and yeah like has a really powerful ending that that works for me at least um and yeah watching <laughs> these two movies back-to-back -back nights <laughs> was kind of intense all right like, no I, I mean i loved it actually like the ending i had such goosebumps at the end of black swan uh and i feel like Requiem for a dream i was just like <laughs> gasping for breath like oh my god this almost killed me but then black swan i was just like so impressed just uh and and just into it i think and like the, the music swells so much and like it just like really the sound design and the editing again just really come together into something memorable for me so yeah well it's i i i go back to the, my love for this director is that like one of the things that's so amazing about him is that he's he's willing to go go big and stay there and yeah. in the hands of a lesser person you, you could see that as being overly melodramatic which it is but like uh it, it could be sloppy and amateurish mm -hmm. but it's it's just so exciting to see like like where is he gonna go and how is he gonna sustain this and i i agree with the the ending of black swan what's so moving about it is that Virtually nothing you see for the hour and 45 minutes is quote unquote real. Hmm. And then in the final moment when you, when she kills herself and you realize that you had been watching an incredibly sick person mm -hmm. the entire time. Um, and he validates that I, I was, I was, I was so moved by this idea that we we tell ourselves a story in order to get by. We all do this. And there there comes a point where the healthy among us can decipher what's the story and what's what's reality. But I I I love that he takes us up literally to the final moment, and then was like, 
no, like Requiem for a Dream, you were actually watching a tragedy yeah. that that this wasn't so much a horror film. I mean, they're both horror films. I mean, you could argue for both of them being yeah. horror movies, but it's it wasn't simply a genre exercise where you watch a woman lose her mind. Um, and isn't that a fun thing to do? Because I think there is some something about watching women suffer in movies that has been historically uh, present. Maybe that's throughout. why the box office was so good for this. You know, like... I, I actually I think that that's that's true. Um, but then there's another part of me that's like, well, what if she had had gone carry on the whole thing and taken mm. everybody in the theater with her? Mm. Um, it would have been a bigger ending, but would it would it have been as satisfying? Um, and I don't think so because I think I think this is about a very small person, very pathetic person. And by pathetic, I mean literally about pathos that mm. that there's something so sad and wretched that you can't help but identify with her. Yeah. And then again, he and and I don't like we've I've said this before, the whole suicide thing that I don't I don't agree with it. Um, but like the wrestler, there was, there was no better thing for her. Um, and the fact, the way that that's played so quietly, um, and, and, and the way that her pain gets validated in a way, even if her, her image of the world doesn't, Hmm. um, that yeah it's just it's it's so moving and yeah i don't know i'm i get i get kind of lost in it it's just yeah. just how psychologically astute both of these movies are mm-hmm. about th- the way we we physically suffer and the toll that that takes mm-hmm. uh on our our minds and our souls yeah that's really interesting and i think the all the fractured identity stuff too i think is really interesting um yeah, i just think because you're talking about like if she went carry on the place and killed everybody it, it because i had forgotten also i'm glad there was such a long wait because i'd forgotten some important things like the fact that she at least imagines killing mila kunis and thinks she shoves the body in the bathroom and all of that and then apparently that didn't happen, you know, like all of those questions of reality, but just the, the, and I mentioned persona before, but like, for me, that's the great, like fractured identity movie of, um, questioning who you are and are these other parts of me viable? And and do I want to kill these other parts of me? Um, and you know, she's maybe wanted to kill the more innocent part of her to take some power, but then trying to do that is killing her as well. And you add this hopeless situation, um, but yeah, I think you're right that ending with her death is is definitely is the better way to do it versus the other option that you just laid out just because, yeah, we're so with her and her experience and I think um, it's just like a more potent tragedy the way it plays out, I think. yeah. I mean, even in that moment where, where she goes back into the dressing room and sees that it, it wasn't true mm-hmm. 
he cuts back to the same shot where the camera points down at the the floor and sort of scans the area and you see that there's no glass or blood and he does it twice and i and i i i i came to think that this is the moment where she finally comes back to reality like she needed to check it twice to confirm that no it was actually all in her head and when she pulls the towel away from the door because she thought the blood was yeah Mm -hmm. and there was nothing there I, i i just and then you don't actually see her stab herself yeah mm-hmm. you only see the the disappointment or the realization that this was in her head and then she sits down and she's got the, the hole mm-hmm. and i just remember there was that one shot when she goes back on stage and it's far away and you can see yeah the the, the red circle in her, on mm-hmm. her on her clothes and i thought oh well that's completely objective so this yeah. is really that seems to be the real piece. So, did you think the implication is like when she shoved Mila Kunis into the mirror, that was she was actually, you know, shoving herself into the mirror, and that's the point at which she became wounded? Is that your understanding of it? Yeah, that that that, that there must have been a piece of glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so maybe it was even an accident. I don't know, but but then it, it's like. Okay, so this was an accident. I didn't mean to to mm-hmm. to to impale myself, but considering what I've just learned about myself, this is the the yeah. best thing for me. Yeah, it's striking me that these um, identity crisis movies <laughs> resonate so much for me because I think you know you and I have talked a lot about you know ex evangelical things or whatever, but you know having one identity and then trying to come into another and like the pain of that separation um just being played out on screen it's like in a way she's trying to kill this other version of herself and you know is her own undoing in that way um yeah i think that's really compelling i like that well and i and i can say and this goes back to my own religious upbringing and i've talked to my parents about this because they have come around to the idea that movies are my particular religion Hmm. but one of the things like what you're saying is that what makes the art form the greatest to me and you can you can drill down to both of these movies is that you're ex- experiencing the suffering that we all go through and the death that we all go through but in a way that's safe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and and though he is dealing with hopelessness and i go i go all the way back to samuel beckett as i tend to (laughs) is that though he though aronofsky is dealing with hopelessness the very creation of the movie and the presenting of it is itself an act of hope Mm -hmm. because what it's saying is don't do this (laughs) yeah or think twice about it at Mm -hmm. the very least Mm -hmm. um and it and it really has made me do that 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 my morality in a sense came from teachers and parents but it also came from from stories and mm-hmm. and how i learned to see the world through the movies so i will never ever say that they're escapist because i don't 
it, they've never allowed me to escape period full stop um and in an odd way they've kept me safe because they've i've been able to look at my own despair and mm, and yeah. my own desire not to be addicted and watching that happen to other people and say well okay you need to take a step back the movie's allowing you to do that so mm -hmm. um I mean, I'll thank Aronofsky again at the end, but but I mean, I, I really truly feel grateful for guys like and gals uh, like him that that put stuff like this out in the world. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the first time I heard someone say that um, the reason people like horror movies is because it's a way to feel fear and some of those negative emotions with consent. Like I'm in a safe space, I can pause this movie if I want to. And same thing for like heavy metal music you can feel that anger in a way that's safe and i think absolutely that that rings true and so like seeing you know if i identify with the feeling of being pulled in two directions and i can see a film like this and um see how destructive that can be if you don't manage it well it's like okay this is serious like manage it well yeah absolutely i think that's absolutely right um wow well two excellent movies uh as usual, as we're going through this Aronofsky series. And I'm so excited for next time. Uh, we are going to talk about Noah and uh, Mother, both of which will be first-time viewings for me. Nice. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get to talk about how God has ruined everything. <laughs> yeah, Noah is such an interesting one, too. I mean, that's the only Aronofsky film that my parents have seen. <laughs> like, like, it has, you know, that direct biblical... Um, connection that I think a lot of Christian audiences went and saw it. So that's interesting to note. And then, uh, yeah, Mother, I've just heard so many in defense and absolutely hating it on both sides of things. So I'm really curious both, to, to check Both it of them have, have had their fair amount of, of trashing, but I, I would argue, again, that it's they're, they're, they're in keeping with all of his work. Hmm. And if you, if you see it on a continuum, um, Yeah. I'm actually incredibly excited now that I think about it because I love religious themes in movies and I'm loving all these Aronofsky things. So this should be a couple of treats for me. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Treats. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll see if you, you feel that way the next time. Uh, yes, we shall see. Well, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, go ahead. No, I just, I, I, as we sort of stated before, I've been under the weather and so I was a bit woozy watching these, but I think that was kind of <laughs> kind of appropriate that that bit feverish. Um, but I just I love that, and I need to reiterate, I actually have the score on CD for mm. Requiem for a Dream. Like nice. that's how much I love that thing. And Chronos Quartet um, were the the string yeah. players. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's 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 one of the all time. All time greats. Yeah, I've. It's. I was like, where have I heard this? But I've just heard it like all over the place. Like I'm sure different. Well, do you know where it's most famously used? No, tell me. In one of the TV spots for the two towers, the main <laughs> yes. theme is is used as like an orchestral version. Okay, and yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. But it's like, why why are you playing <laughs> the music from the movie with the double dildo uh, in in the Hobbit movie? <laughs> Uh, yeah it must be i bet it's using other trailers and stuff too i mean it's such an epic kind of sounding 
thing that I could see that it would fit well with different things. Yeah. Oh, and there was also if you you can look up uh I forget the exact title, but it's like a drunk guy fail where he's where there's a a, a security camera and a uh like a quickie mart and a drunk guy is trying to get like a drink out of one of those uh refrigerators, glass ones, and keeps falling but getting back up again and falling and they overlay that orchestral <laughs> version of Requiem. Um, yeah. So that that's worth seeing. And I also put up on my, my Facebook page, the, uh, the, uh, the black Swan parody that Jim Carrey did for SNL. Oh which gosh. Is, I haven't seen on. that. <laughs> I have to check that out for sure. Oh, that sounds amazing. I wow. love doing this though. I just, I mean, that, that, I, I, I missed you, man. You know? Yeah. It's been too long. Yeah, I, I mean, I had some weeks just off because I was so busy with different summer things. I'm realizing maybe summer I need to like change up the podcast schedule to be a little easier on me or something. But getting back into it, getting back into the swing of things and uh, award season coming up. So excited to get into some of those things too. But well, well, let's 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 finish strong and hopefully quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you as always, Michael. I really appreciate it, and uh, we will talk to you soon. I Thanks, think man. the plan right now is not the next episode, but the next, just for your information. Oh, really? Okay. Let's <laughs> audience hold them to it. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, we, we shall see. But I think that's the plan. Um, cool. All right. Well, thanks you again, and uh, we will talk to you next time. Thanks, brother. Talk to you soon. Huge thanks to Michael. This series has been so great, and I'm so glad it's not over yet. Stay tuned. Next time on the show, we are talking about the new film, Fair Play, which comes to Netflix in just a few weeks and is the feature debut of writer-director Chloe Domont. It also stars Phoebe Denever and Alden Ehrenreich. And uh, it's sort of a relationship drama thriller, workplace thriller, erotic thriller. It's all, all over the place, actually. It's a pretty interesting film. Excited to talk about that one. And then the time after that, the plan is to get to Aronofsky Part 4, which will cover Noah and Mother. Until then, thank you so much for listening. We've got a few years' worth of episodes now. You can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Arthouse Garage and become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage, we'll find a link in the show notes. If you do subscribe to Patreon, you get ad-free episodes. You can also buy an Arthouse Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app, and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe, or you can email me directly, andrew, at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places, or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, keep it snob-free. Snob-free.